Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Hey, we're going to be looking at Romans. We're continuing our series today and looking at Romans chapter 1. The Bible reading today is from verse 18 through to 23. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images." made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. My name's Ross, if we haven't met, and you've walked in on week two of a series through Romans. You've just heard the Bible reading, and you've gone, man, is this what the Bible's all about? Is this what this church is all about? Just conviction of uh, just lots of negative stuff. Well, stuff we need to hear, so I'm kind of excited, kind of apprehensive, and kind of like, this is heavy, but... We're going to work through it as a church together. It's God's words. He's speaking to us. Uh, So let me pray before we start. Dear Father God, we just thank you as we've already prayed. Thank you for your love. Thank you for being a Father God to us and that you, you are with us now. Your spirit is with us and that Jesus speaks to us. That Lord, that you would just bring us nearer to you as we get into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Parenting is really hard if you're a parent. You'd already would know this I'm sure but particularly when you've got a rebellious child or at least a child who doesn't want to live under your house anymore they want to leave home in fact yes that has happened in the Wilson household our son Joel got to a point where he was having a bad day and said look I think I'm better off out of here so he talked to me about it and my son Joel's very organized very responsible packed his bag packed food packed a sleeping bag into his backpack said goodbye and said, I'm off, I'm leaving home. As sad as that was, uh, sad to see him go. The door's always open, but you're always welcome back. And off he went. As he took off up the bike path, uh, I went out the back just to see where he was going and if he was going okay. Because I know at six years of age, he was very responsible for what he's doing, but I just want to make sure he's okay. Soon after, Ash realised what was going on. Ash's elder daughter, she's now about eight years of age. She said, Dad, do you know what Joel's doing? He's just left home. I said, yeah, I know. I'm like, sad, is <laughs> And um, so she runs out the door to talk to him. Joel, what are you doing? Like, you've got to come home. You can't leave home. She comes back to me. Dad, you've got to, you've got to go and talk to him. He's, he's, up the, he's just up the pathway. So I go out, talk to Joel, uh, and... Thankfully, he was happy to come home and relationship restored. 
With that experience, we showed Joel some love that we did like him as a part of our family. We did love him. And within minutes, because now as the day is going on, uh, it's now getting late in the day, sun setting, Ash is looking at Joel going, he's getting all the attention, he's getting all the love. Well, if that's what you've got to do, she throws a few things in her bag and says, well, I'm leaving home, see you later, I'm gone too. Now, I've got two kids that have walked out of home. So she's walked up the path. Joel says to me, because now he's a, a six-year-old who's experienced at, you know, living on the street and leaving home, he says, don't worry about her, she won't be long. I looked what she packed. She hardly packed any food, she didn't even pack a sleeping bag. She'll be back shortly. And sure enough, within five or ten minutes, Ashley walks back in the door. Aren't you going to look for me? Aren't you coming to get me? <laughs> we showed her some love as well. Had a good family bonding time that night. But it's hard, isn't it? And I'm sure we've all experienced some form of that when we're living with our parents going, Man, I, I think I could do a better job. I think I'd be better off living my own way, not under the rules of, of my parents. And I think we do that with God too, not only with our families, but with God. That we go, well, surely I think I can be better off without living under God. That if I walk out of the house, if I walk out on him, you know, think about all the giving that I do, my finances. Just imagine how much money I would have if I didn't if I wasn't called to be generous, didn't use that with my money. Imagine all the, the weekends that I'd have freed up if I didn't go to church. Just imagine what I could do with the time that I put into serving others if I put into myself and what I do. It, just imagine, maybe I would be better off if I just left and lived by my own rules. I'm sure we've all thought of that, about that at different times. In fact, you're not the first person to think about it. In fact, it goes all the way back in humanity. Adam and Eve, what happened to them? God made them in the garden, living under God's creation. Everything was so good, but they ate the fruit. What was eating the fruit about? It was saying to God, I think I'd be better living my own way because they believed the lie that by eating the fruit, they too would become gods. I don't want to submit under your rules, God. I want to do, my, do it my own way. This is the first man and woman called as God's children. The Psalms talk about how the psalmist looks across at everybody else. He goes, look how prosperous they are. Look how healthy they are. What good is it for me to follow God? I'd be better off without God. Wrestling with that question. It's a common question. What would it look like if I ran out on God? What would it look like uh, if we walked out on him? What would happen if we walked out on God? And what would God do about it? Would God chase you, pursue you? What would God do if you walked out on him? This is such a common uh, scenario in humanity. It's even included in this, in this book of Romans, which is kind of like the story of humanity, the story of God the Father and his relationship with humanity. So this is where we pick it up in Romans, second part of chapter 1. And this is what it's going to look like. This is what it looks like to walk out on God. We call Paul. Paul's this guy who is an apostle. He's writing this letter to the church in Rome. And this is how Paul describes the story. Paul's like a storyteller about how this plays out. And he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since they may be since what may be known about God is plain to them, because what God has made is plain to them 
or since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, have been clearly understood. What he's saying is God is the provider. It's his creation that we are enjoying. You know, the birds we hear first thing in the morning calling each other, the smells from the beautiful flowers, we see his divine power and visible qualities, roaring volcanoes when they roar. Or when you're in the, in the birthing suite, seeing a, a, your child being born, a, a baby coming from appearingly nothing appears. All this creation, even the air we breathe, is God's creation. This is God's home. Everything, you know, even just sitting here now, just think about it. You've just taken a breath. God's provided that air. God's given that to you. Is he living in my house, he says. These are the blessings. These are my creation that you're enjoying. This is what it's all about. We are no, we talked about this last week, we're not the result of just a series of biological coincidences that humanity just appeared uh, with no meaning, no purpose, no divine ruler or Lord. But we do have a creator God. We do have a God who loves us, that, that has birthed us into relationship with him. He has provided us a house. He's provided us food with shelter, with air. He's provided us all that we need. But yet, Paul says, we reject him. I don't want your house. Well, I want your staff. I don't want you. Because he goes on in verse 21, for all they knew God, they neither glorified him, so they, they didn't know him, they did well... They knew of him, but they didn't want to know him. They didn't glorify him, nor gave him any thanks. It was like the air we breathe every day. We should go, actually, thanks, God, for providing me even something as simple as air, my food, my stuff. He says they claimed to be wise, but they became fools. They've run out on God. It's like God's provided us everything. We're going, God, I like your creation. I like your stuff, but actually I don't like you being a part of it. I just want to go my own way. Now, the book of Romans can become a little bit uh, like a reference book or a textbook. It's got lots of information. It engages the head, explains lots of stuff. But what Paul's talking about is very much a heart issue. It's a heart issue humanity has with God. So as we're looking at Romans for this whole series, we're putting it side by side with a story Jesus told called the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son uh, is a story that Jesus told to a number of different people and it's about a father and two sons. I've got a few verses up here. And he starts off, there's a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, <clears throat> Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my share of this day. I want out of here. This is the son who's lived in the father's house, enjoyed his protection, enjoyed his food, enjoyed all his provisions, enjoyed all the rights of a son. But now he says, I want out. <clears throat> I want out of here. Now, to appreciate what's going on here, which is a little bit hard for us, because we're like 21st century, Western, sort of individualised people. We... we don't often pick up how offensive this is to the father. There's this guy called Kenneth Bailey who spent a long time in the Middle East and in that Middle East just observing the culture because this is where this story took place in the Middle East and uh, 
progress hasn't changed as quick as in the West. So he's, going, he's observing how the family operates. And he, he writes in, in relation to the stories that Jesus are telling, what would the, what would the people be hearing and thinking as as they would have heard this story. And first of all, just the makeup of their family is so different to ours. Because in their family, it's no mistake who's the head of the house. It's the father. And therefore, the father is treated almost like a god that you never speak against him. You never question him. You respect him totally. You do all you can because he is. He provides for you. He protects you. He loves you. It's this loving relationship. But there's no question about where the, where the father sits. And that is, he's the head of the house. So when it comes to the question about a son asking, give me my share of the estate, this guy, Kenneth Bailey, went around asking people in the Middle East, said, if a son went up to their dad and said this to their dad, what do you think would happen? He asked many, many people. And the common response, the most likely response, was a nervous sort of grin. It's like, that would never happen. No way would that happen. That is so unbelievable. The respect for the father, <clears throat> it's not going to happen. But he said he did come across one story where this did actually happen. And he said when the son asked the father for his inheritance, yeah, I want to go my own way, give me, what, give me what's coming to me now. You're pretty much you're dead to me, I want to go. <clears throat> as well as being heartbreaking to the parents, he said what the villagers did. The villagers thought this was so offensive, they got sticks and planks of wood and beat up that child, chased him out of town, and they told him never to return again or else they'd beat him again because he'd been so disrespectful to his father, pretty much saying, I want you dead, or at least you're dead to me, but give me your stuff. I want to be out of here. That's how offensive it is. And Paul's saying, this is what humanity has done. I like what you've given us, God. I want your stuff, like what the young son is saying, but I don't want you. I don't want you to be a part of it. I want to walk out of here and go my own way, killing off God. There's no nice way of saying, this is, this is what sin is. It's telling God, basically giving him the finger, slamming the door and saying, you're dead to me, see you later. That's what Paul's saying is going on in humanity. That's what sin is. That's what is offensive about it. Paul says, we claim to be wise, but we're fools. We're rejecting the creator, chasing created things, chasing other things. What's also surprising in this story, though, I'm not sure whether you picked it up, is the response of the father. Because the father, instead of... Instead of him getting a plank of wood and beating up his son, he actually gives his son what he asked for. Sells his property, divides it up, gives him the son the money and lets him go. It's interesting that Paul says that's what our Godfather does. If we go back, pick it up from verse 24, <clears throat> Paul says, Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires. In these next few verses, he's going to say it three times. God gave them over to what they wanted. You want out of here? Sure, here it is. This one says, God gave it over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. He says, you want it? Here it is. Go and have it. You're exchanging the truth 
for a lie. The truth of God chasing the lies of the world. To pursue what? To pursue your sexual desires. It's interesting that at this point he's picked out this one. It's also interesting when the son in the prodigal son story leaves the father, later on we're told what did he blow his money on? Prostitutes. I want my money. I'm pursuing what my heart desires. A sexual desires. And Paul's saying, you know what? One of our biggest desires that's inbuilt in us is our sexual desires. So he says, look, look what's going on. We're chasing, this is a classic example of chasing the cre- uh, of pursuing the created things rather than the creator. Now we need to understand, God made sex, made man and woman uh, to enjoy sex. Yeah? He uses the language to become one. He actually tells them, go and multiply, go. Have lots of sex, make lots of children. Like This is a good thing from the creator. But it's a gift from the creator. And what we've done is going, no, no, we like all the good things. We like your gifts, God, but we don't want you. So I'm just going to start chasing my sexual desires. Because that's going to fulfill me more than you. We exchanged the truth for a lie, Paul says, where God, we see as creator, provider, who gives us purpose, he blesses us as a father. We go, no, no, well, God, that's a nice story, but actually my sexual desires promise me lots more things, and the world backs this up. I'm made for sex, we're told. That sex provides all I need. The sex gives me purpose. Good sex is all the blessing I need. So, we're sexual, we are a sexual-driven culture. This is written 2,000 years ago, but nothing has changed. Humanity hasn't changed. Now, whether it's uh, having uh, sex outside of marriage with multiple partners, even to, to watching porn, all that's become acceptable now. But even, uh, who, everybody's got a Tinder account. I'm not sure if you've picked up this in the, the coffee room. Sorry, it's going to say coffee room talk. Not in our coffee room, doesn't. Um, <laughs> But in the chats, it's like, how's your Tinder account? You can do better. How many swipes you got? It's like, it's common. It's just acceptable. How many hits you getting? How many likes you got? But it's sexual driven that I want. And we swallow the lie that this is fulfilling. This is what life's all about. This is what needs. This is my needs. This makes me happy. This gives me purpose. But Paul's saying it's the, swapping the truth for a lie, swapping the creator for the good things that he's given us. Our hearts desire to pursue those pleasures. But it's not only taking the gift that God has given us and misusing it, but it's also trying to to improve it because he goes on. Verse 26, because of this, God gave them over. Here's this thing, God's just letting us go. God gave, gave them over to their shameful lust. Even the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned the natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received them in themselves the due penalty of their error. This is just an example, Paul says, of look how far the world has gone from God. Look how far they've gone from his good and perfect plan. Look how far we've wandered as a community as a nation, even as individuals. Now, this passage opens up a whole can of worms. I know. What is our society doing and how we're meant to interpret as Christians? I even tried to answer some of those questions and the, diggy, the more deeper you dig, the more answers you try and 
more questions you try and answer, the more questions get asked. So what I want to do is just mainly focus what is Paul saying, and that is, look how far we've come. We've said no to God. We've offended him, but we've slammed the door. We don't want to live under his rule. And this is how it comes out. Paul uses the, the language of uh, natural desires. That, that is what God designed us, this, this whole one man, one woman thing. Two becoming one, the faithfulness. That's, that's the cr- way we were created. The best way it's meant to be according to God. What he's, when he says unnatural things, it's, it's going anything outside of that. Anything outside of the perfect way God made us to fulfill our desires, he's going, no, no, that's, that's not right. You're, you're, it's empty promises, they're lies. He goes to the point how far we've come. Even the women are sleeping with each other. It's like men, I've expected from men, they don't always think right with their head. They think with their other hormones and organs. But the women are even doing it. He says, look how far they've come. But God has let us go to pursue our lusts. And we see the further and further away we get from God. And we experience this, don't we? If you've chosen to commit yourself to one man, one woman in marriage, saying, this is a person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. This is the only person, to put it bluntly, this is the only person I'm going to sleep with for the rest of my life. You are strange to our culture. You're abnormal to our society. Why would you do that? It's so different to what our world is saying. When people have killed off God, they pursue their lusts. They become our God. So even Paul, writing this 2,000 years ago, can see it happening. It's no surprise to Paul. The more we shut God out, the more we wander. It's going to keep going. The more we say no to God, the more it looks very different to his creation, what he says is good for us. He even goes on, this is more what the world looks like. Uh, From 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over, there it is again, God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they ought not to be done, that they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Is this describing the world you live in? They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I mean, when you go through that list, how, it's not just the world anymore. It's like starting to feel like, how do we measure up? Is he talking about us? Gossips, slanderers, disobeying parents. He says they have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. The further we wander away from God, this is what it looks like, he says. This is what it looks like. And he is pointing the finger to all of us. Because he's describing a world that's moving away from God and the whole world is paying the price for sin. Paying the price for moving away from how he created us. Now, this is a definition of sin. It's not just ticking the box of I haven't done this or I should have done this. It's a broken relationship with God and he's pointing the finger at all of us. 
that we don't measure up well and we've offended God. And I want to tell you, this is a hard passage to preach, especially when you're a sinner. So I'm not just pointing the finger at you, I'm pointing the finger at me. Because I've been born following Adam and Eve, I've been born with a rebellious heart, I've been raised in a rebellious world. When I hear the promises of sexual desires, of of greed and prosperity, of, of pride and me first, my heart leans towards that. So therefore, every day, and I'm hoping you you can associate with, and it's not just me, every day we have to say no to sexual temptation because it's there every day. It's in the world we live. Every day we have to say no to greed and prosperity and the promises, the lies that it unfolds, that that it's going to be fulfilling. Every day you have to say no to that. Every day I have to say no to, to gossiping and putting other people down. Every day I have to say, I need to... I should be saying to myself, I should be looking after my parents better. I should be saying that. Because the temptation is to push them out. Every day these things are here. But Paul says it to us, because it's no excuse to say you're born into a broken world with, with just broken heart, that we're born rebellious, so what should you expect? No, he says, I'm held accountable. And you're held accountable. He says in verse 32, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. It's like we're all swept up. We're all got that rebellious gene in our, in our blood. We all have hearts that lean towards that. Every day we have to make decisions. Say, no, I'm not going that way. This is the mess we're in. Paul says this. It's a whole chunk of it, isn't it? It's heavy, the weight of sin. But he's saying it because you need to feel the weight of sin. If you want to hear the good news story of the gospel of God that we started last week, you need to feel the weight of your sin. You need to own it. Own where your heart is. And it's a heavy weight. It's interesting when we see how, how this plays out for the prodigal son. When we go back, so we, we heard that he asked for his share of the state, the dad gives him what he wanted. But not long after that, things get rough for the boy. Poverty hits. He's run out of money. So what does he do? He goes look for a job. Best job he can get is feeding the pigs. You've got to see the irony in this. Jesus is talking to a Jewish nation, can't eat pork, can't touch pigs, and here's this Jewish boy now, the servant of pigs. But he's stooped so low that he even longs to eat the food the pigs are eating. It's like, it's like the father's let him go. If that's what you want, son, if you don't want to live with me, if you don't want to live in my house, off you go. And where's he ended up? The further he's gone the more mess he has found himself in. It's not going well. This is what Paul means. Back in verse 18, there was a bit that says, the wrath of God is being revealed. Sure, we know uh, there's reference to uh, God holding us accountable, to sin leads to death, but even now through our life, through the choices we make, his wrath is being revealed, and that wrath looks like pretty much, if that's the way you want to go, you want to give up the creator for the created, go. You'll find yourself, see how that works out. Because we see it in the prodigal son. 
We see it in what Paul is saying. The further we go from God, the more mess we find ourselves in. We even know in this church that we have many people who are experiencing from the hurts of sin. Experiencing the hurts of sin. Or recovering from the hurts of sin. Dealing with addiction of sin. Or even recovering from the sin of others that's impacted on them. So I think there's more people sitting in this room than we realise can associate with the prodigal son and his journey, can associate with what Paul's saying. Made bad choices. Somebody else has made bad choices that's impacted me. And we're paying the price for it because we've wandered from God, leaving the Father, chasing the lies of the world, and it comes with hurts. I just want to leave you with three quick reflections on this story. First of all, we need to own our own sin and feel the weight of it. We can live in denial. I mean, you might be sitting here this morning and going, man, that's a big list there, but I think I scrub up pretty good. I think I'm all right. But actually, that person over there needs to hear that bit about this, and that person over there needs to hear that bit. You know, I know everybody else is struggling with this, but not me. We need to own our sin. And if you're one of those people, actually make sure you're here next week. So we're going to cover almost two chapters just for you. Just for you. Make sure you're here next week. We need to own our sin. And we need a tendency for us is to quickly rush to Jesus. I know the rest of the story. Jesus comes, he dies across, dies for my sin, and I get new life. And we do that very quickly. And sometimes when we do that, we actually lighten sin. We make light of it. We make it acceptable because I know Jesus is going to deal with it, so I don't have to worry about it. Paul doesn't mention what Jesus has done for you in this passage. So I think it's good for us just to sit on what Paul is saying and feel the weight of our sin. We need to ask ourselves, well, what are we desiring in life? What are we pursuing? Is it our sexual desires? Is it our greed? Do we take seriously gossip, even arrogance? And this is a great environment for it because as a church, we encourage people to share their lives with each other, do lives with each other. It's very easy for us to become gossips because we know so much about each other. How are we going at obeying our parents? You go, oh, that's a bit random one to throw in there. But I think it's in there because how you treat your parents, I think, is a reflection on how you're treating God your Father. I think that's the connection. How are we going with that? We need to ask ourselves because we need to own it in our own lives. Paul is not saying you need to be perfect to come to God. But he says you need to be aware of your sin and take it seriously. Secondly, this is not the end of the story that God is still there. Did you notice Paul doesn't finish this section saying, if you are one of these people, if you are one of these people who have sinned and made a mess, stop reading now, close your book, leave the room, no more for you, you shouldn't be here. He doesn't say it. In fact, Paul's written another 15 chapters. What he is saying, if you're one of these people, I hope you keep reading. I hope you stay around. Because like the prodigal God story, the father didn't give up on his son. He stayed out in his veranda looking at the horizon, waiting for his son to return. The father hasn't given up. The father is there. God is still there. doesn't matter what we've done or where we've been. The mess we're in. Yeah, you might be feeling like, man, actually, I realise so deep in sin, I am the son, knee-deep in pig poo. That's how messy it is. But the Father still hasn't given up on you. 
God is still there, no matter what your sin. And thirdly, God seeks the rebellious child, and so will we. It's very easy for churches to go, we want to be the best church ever with nice people that all love each other, nice and harmonious, that we only accept good people in this church. It's not a written rule, but it's subtle. We call it the John West Church. You know, the John West advertising campaign that said, the fish John West reject that makes John West the best. It's kind of like, if you're good enough, you can come in here. But we're actually going to reject all the loonies, all the nutcases, all those people. That's not what church is about. That's not what God the Father's about. That's not what we're about. In fact, we're praying and working that God would use us to reach 1% of our community. That's a big chunk of people in our community. It's 1,000 people. And if we're praying that, what sort of people need to hear about the love of God? It's those people who walk in here might be sex-addicted, they might be greedy, they might be arrogant. They're people who are not finding love in what they're pursuing. But we can show them real love through the love of God. That's the church we need to be Because if God only accepted the best, we wouldn't be here, would we? I wouldn't be here. So we need to be the welcoming church because we have a welcoming God and to show them where true life is in the creator and not created things. Please reflect on these things this week. We're going to keep the journey going on next week. But I'm going to pray for us that we do feel the weight of sin. We do address those things, but we do. uh, it forces us to cling to the love of the Father. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for not giving up on us. That although we were born into sin, we have a rebellious heart, raised in a rebellious world, it would be easy for us to play the victim. But Lord, you're calling us to you. You're calling us to the life you designed us. And Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry we keep rejecting you. Sorry we keep making bad choices and believing the lies, sexual pleasures, greed and prosperity. It's all about me. Lord, as we come here this morning, we we do feel the weight of that sin, how far we've come from you. Lord, we pray for us as as a nation that you would have mercy on us and call us back. We pray for us as individuals that that you will draw us nearer to you. Thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for your open arms. And thank you for Jesus that makes it possible. Amen.